Today's scripture reading is from Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Yaris, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion, the people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word from the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kara. Let's bow our heads and pray for God to help us now. Lord. Um, Your word is open. Speak to us. Your servants are listening. Amen. A few years ago, I don't don't remember when exactly this happened or even who it happened with, but I was talking to someone, telling them about where I was from. They said, oh, you're from Vermont. Oh, yeah. And I said, yeah, I'm from Vermont. And they said... um, yeah, well, that's, uh, there's a lot of mountains there. It's a beautiful state. Oh, it sure is. Yeah, the Green Mountain State. I love the mountains. 
Yeah, you're, um, and you're pretty close to uh, D.C. also, which is, which is nice. Well, we're about eight, nine hours away from D.C., but, and he's like, really? And then it dawned on him. He said, oh, I thought you meant Virginia. <laughs> and I was like, nope, Vermont is a different state. It's up next to New Hampshire and Maine. Uh, and I share that story because we were both talking about two different things, even though we thought we were talking about the same thing. And sometimes when we talk about the word faith, the same thing happens. We, we mean one thing by faith, but someone else can, can use that word and mean something completely different. Like, oh, I have faith that it's going to work out, or I have faith in a higher power, or just have faith. Or you got to have faith. But, but for Christians, and what Mark is trying to tell us here is that faith is something very specific and centered on Jesus. And um, he shows us in these twin stories what faith is. Every week when I study a passage to preach, I try to answer the question, why does this matter for our church here and now? And I think it's really easy to answer that question this week because we all, we are here because we have faith in Jesus or we are trying to figure out what faith in Jesus is. Or maybe someone dragged you here and you're just along for the ride. But you can get something out of this too. Um, so this is going to tell us what is true faith. There are these two stories. There, so there's Jairus. Jesus is interrupted teaching by Jairus, whose daughter is ill. And then as he's going to Jairus' house, he's interrupted again by this woman who is bleeding. Um, on the surface of it, these two stories don't have a lot in common, but they're both telling us the same thing. Did you ever listen to records or music in headphones in stereo? And you can kind of pan to the left or to the right and, and hear different things coming out of each speaker, right? The mix is a little different on one side or the other, but they're both together telling or making the same beautiful song. That's what's going on here with Jairus and the woman who's bleeding. They're both different, but they're telling the same story. They're answering the question, what is true faith? I think this text shows us three things that true faith is and it is like. So let's see them as we walk through. I'd encourage you to open your Bibles to this passage in Mark chapter 5 so you can actually see and read the words as I um, refer to them. So number one. Uh, let me read again verses 21 through 28. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is, di is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. 
A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered greatly under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Let's pause. Two people, uh, two socially opposite people here. Jairus is a community leader. He's the synagogue leader. The synagogue would have been the center of life in that Jewish community. He would have made sure the building was maintained and lined up rabbis to speak and made sure their scrolls were in good condition and all the things associated with the synagogue. So he's named here in the text partly because everybody knew him. Um, On the other hand, there's this woman. First of all, she's a woman, so she has lower social status. But also, she has this condition. Now, when it says subject to bleeding, it's actually like menstrual bleeding that this woman has for 12 years without stopping. Now, that would be painful and inconvenient and problematic enough, but in the Jewish culture and in the Old Testament law, that was considered um, uh, you'd be in a state of ceremonial impurity, which is not sin, but it does separate you from participating uh, in religious activities or from being near other people, anyone who touched her or shared a chair or a bed with her would have, to be, would have to wash, and they would be ritually impure until they went through the purification process. So this poor woman is suffering in so many ways. She's an outcast. She's kind of like a social leper. And... Uh, She sneaks up to Jesus from behind, not wanting to be seen, whereas Jairus comes in the front in full view of everybody. You see they're completely different people, and yet they both are desperate for help from Jesus. And they both do something based on, on their hope that he will help them. And so the first thing we learn about faith is that faith acts. Faith does something. Faith is not just a mental checking of a box or believing certain doctrines or having a feeling in your heart. Faith is active. Faith moves you literally toward Jesus. Look at how Jairus comes. It says, when he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and begged him earnestly. His faith, for whatever it was, moved him to fall down before Jesus. This woman's faith or hope in Jesus moved her to reach out her hand and touch the corner of his robe. You see, out of their desperation, and I failed to mention, why would Jairus be desperate? Because his daughter is on death's door. If you're a parent, you know how panicked and desperate you would be feeling. And so their desperation drives them. They think, Maybe Jesus can help. I'm going to believe that Jesus can do something. And so they go to him and act on that faith. Now, 
what does that look like for us? Because we, we don't have the, the body of Jesus here that we can go and touch or talk to or kneel before, right? It's the same way for us, though. Because if we have faith, we do certain things to be close to Jesus. All of you except me drove here this morning and Asher and Ewan, right? You, you did something with your body to come to worship. You stood, you sang, you, at home you open your Bibles, I hope. You, you pray, you kneel or bow your head or put your arms out. You, you do certain things with your body and with your life, make choices in your life. Not just a totally mental uh, uh, you know, a feeling or a thought in your head. You see that? So often, when, when people talk about faith, it means a good feeling or a good idea. But faith is active. That's the first thing we learn about faith. But that's only the beginning. Let's continue the story. Verses 27 through 34, I'll just summarize this. So here is Jesus walking to Jairus' house with the crowd moving around him in this big herd. And the woman sneaks up behind him. She reaches out her hand. She touches the fringe of his garment. And with a trembling hand, thinking, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Does that strike you as a little bit superstitious almost like if I just if I if I touch the cloak some power will flow out of it into my body and I'll be healed right in the ancient world world there were stories of people doing this kind of thing with other important figures even like Alexander the Great people would want to just touch him and get some of his his glory or his power of course that didn't happen with Alexander the Great because he wasn't God but um, doesn't it strike you as a bit superstitious? Like this magical thing. Um, well, let's see what happens. Uh, it says that when she touched his cloak, instantly she felt a change in her body. Something happened. And, and it says Jesus sensed power go out of him. Fascinating. Um, and Jesus, you know, he senses this. Normally, if she touched a person, that person would be unclean because of her condition, ritually unclean. But now it's the other way around. When she touch, touches Jesus, she is made clean, and he's not contaminated. But what happens before she has a chance to get too excited about this healing Jesus says, who touched me? And he starts looking around, and of course the disciples are like, Jesus, there's, everyone's touching you. We're, we're in the middle of a crowd here. But he insists, who touched me? He will not rest until this person identifies themselves. Finally, the woman falls at Jesus' feet, trembling, and tells the whole truth. And as she looks down at the ground, I imagine that she is waiting to be publicly shamed. How dare 
you contaminate this important rabbi. How dare you interrupt him on this important business he's on. And there's Jairus standing there like, come on, my daughter's about to die. Why are we waiting around? Um, <clears throat> how dare you, an impure woman, come into this crowd and defile all these people, right? That's what she's expecting to hear. She's full of shame. But when Jesus speaks, her fears melt away. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. The thing I want you to, to zone, hone in on here is why did Jesus put her through all this anguish? Why doesn't he just let her go away in peace without drawing attention to her like she wanted? Here's why. Because her faith was in the right object, was in Jesus, but her faith was incomplete. You see, she, all she wanted was some of Jesus' power to heal her, right? She just wanted something from him, but Jesus wanted her. Jesus wanted to see her, to, to look her in the eyes and establish that connection and say, go in peace. This is, this is about a relationship and not just a transaction of power. Do you see that? And so, uh, in, the, in the words of Bible scholar James Edwards, in the kingdom of God, miracles lead to meetings. The purpose of, of miracles is not just to, to show off or to, to do good things. It's to, to draw people into relationship with Jesus. She wanted something from Jesus, but Jesus wanted an encounter with her. The second thing we learn about faith, therefore, not only is it active, but it must be uh, not merely trusting the power of Jesus, but in the person of Jesus. Right? I, I've met with people before, I can think of one in particular, who really want their lives to change. They want to be freed from an addiction or a bad situation. They need help. They're desperate. They're asking me to pray for them. But what I realize is all they want is the power. They don't want to know Jesus themselves. As I try to talk to them about Jesus and the good news and a relationship with him, they're not interested in that. They just want a fix, a healing, a high, a, a better life. How many, how many of us honestly use Jesus sometimes just to get something we want? But it's not about his power, it's about his person. So think of a time that, that you had an answer to prayer when God healed you or protected you or took care of someone in a special way or provided something dramatically. That provision, that miracle was meant to deepen your relationship with the miracle giver and not merely be a handout or a help or a blessing from him. Faith is not about just the power of Jesus, but the person 
of Jesus. Um, sometime last week, I heard a, a winning Powerball ticket for $2 million was sold somewhere in Vermont. Um, and whoever the winner is, they are about to find they have a lot of friends, you know? A lot of long-lost cousins, classmates, neighbors. Do those people really suddenly want to get to know this person better? Probably not. So don't treat Jesus that way. He is, he is worth knowing and following and loving and trusting even if he doesn't do a miracle for you in the way and the time you want. But if he does, let it draw you closer to him. Uh, the final thing we see in this story shows why it's so important to keep Jesus at the center. That's in uh, verses 35 through 43. We're told that when Jesus was still speaking, some servants from Jairus' house came and said, too late, your daughter is dead. You know, why bother the teacher anymore? Just come home. And at that moment, Jesus says something to Jairus that makes him have to choose what he's going to do. Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. And so Jairus has to make a choice. Do I continue hoping Despite what I hear, despite the evidence, despite this report, I don't, I mean, my servants aren't going to lie to me about this. I trust that what they're saying is true. Am I going to go with that and send Jesus away and go play in a funeral, or am I going to continue to trust Jesus? And he does. He, he lets Jesus go back with him to the house. Now, here's the third thing. <clears throat> I'll give it to you more up front. The third thing is that faith stakes everything on Jesus. Faith stakes it all on him. As the story continues, you know, Jesus goes back to Jairus' house along with three of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. And Jairus is probably thinking, oh man, I, if if Jesus is wrong, I'm going to look like a total fool. Will my credibility go down? Will my, my personal hopes be crushed? Why am I doing this? I don't know, but I just trust that Jesus, somehow Jesus knows what he's doing here. Amen. Amen. So they go back to the house, and Jairus probably gets even more panicky. There's all the, the, the professional mourners and wailers who are... In that culture, we're hired to come in and sing these loud, lamenting, wailing songs when someone died. And Jesus shoes them out and said, why are you doing this? She's not dead, but asleep. And they laugh at him. When you stake your life on Jesus, it looks laughable sometimes to the outside world. Um, trusting in Jesus can look foolish I think if we freeze the frame here with Jairus in the house, being, hearing Jesus be laughed at, not sure what he's going to find in the bedroom, that is kind of like the situation we are in every day. 
right? Faith can seem foolish. We haven't seen the miracle yet. We're just trusting in Jesus that he will come through. And there's so many voices in this world that say, and within us, that say, be afraid, don't believe. Be afraid. There's so much to worry about. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this doesn't happen? What if God doesn't come through in the time that you want him to? What if everything falls apart? Be afraid, don't believe. Right? But faith says, I am going to stake it all on Jesus. I don't care what what it looks like now, what the evidence is. I believe that Jesus is trustworthy. Um, Every single one of us, you know, we're in this situation, but, but it will come to a crisis point in all of our lives, a point when we are forced to really stake it on Jesus or not. When the doctor says, I'm sorry, but the cancer's inoperable. Or there's nothing more we can do. Or when you are at the lowest point after uh, in a problem you can't fix and can't get out of. Or the time when you realize that, hey, I am so sinful and I can't seem to change my own heart. In those moments of desperation, of being at the end of your rope, of being um, steamrolled by life, you'll have to choose, do I trust in Jesus here or not? When you stake it all on Jesus in faith, you are essentially saying, I trust Jesus even if the worst thing happens, right? Well, as it turns out, uh, Jesus proves trustworthy. Surprise, surprise. He shoes away the mourners. He takes Jairus and the girl's mom and the three disciples into the bedroom where the girl is lying limp, on the bed with no life in her. Um, She's not actually asleep. Jesus said that so that he wouldn't draw attention to himself. He doesn't want to say, look, I'm about to raise someone from the dead. Everybody come and watch. But in a way, he is waking her up from death. We're told in verse 41, he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. How cool is it that we have the actual Aramaic words that Jesus spoke? And then in verse 42, it says, immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And how long had the woman been suffering from her problem? Twelve years. See, these are stereo stories here. At this, they were completely astonished. You see Jairus and the mom with their jaws on the floor, like, what just happened? And he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Even death is not beyond the reach of Jesus' hand. 
It takes faith to believe that on this side of death, doesn't it? Um, so what does it mean to stake it all on Jesus? About four years ago, tragedy struck this family in California, Andrew and Kaylee uh, Helgenthal, when their two-year-old daughter, Olive, unexpectedly passed away. Now, Kaylee and Andrew were um, worship leaders at a church in California, and they decided this was not a time to grieve, but a time to ask Jesus to raise the dead. And um, you think that's a lot of faith. So they organized uh, prayer groups in their home and in other places, and they said in an in a Instagram post, the wife said this, we are asking for bold, unified prayers from the global church to stand with us in belief that he will raise this little girl back to life. Her time here on earth is not done, and it's our time to believe boldly and with confidence, wield what King Jesus paid for. It's time for her to come to life. After a week of prayer, she had not come back to life. So what happened there? Was that, a, was that did they not have enough faith? Was their faith in the wrong thing? Did God just say, nope, that's not in my will? We do live in a world of death. Bad things do happen. Many prayers we pray will not be answered here and now. Think about even the girl in this story. She grew up, lived probably a normal life, and then what happened? She died again. Or the woman who was healed, I'm sure she went on to have other health problems. And so what these stories are saying is not that Every infirmity we have, Jesus will heal, or everyone who dies, we can raise them from the dead with his power. It's saying that, that uh, it points forward to the greater work that Jesus will do later in this story, which is what? He, he takes on all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our uncleanness, and he dies for us. And then after three days in the ground, he rises again and breaks down the doors of death. Not so that we'll never die, but so that death is not the end for us. But we have the promise of resurrection like his. And when you trust Jesus, when you stake it all on him, you're trusting that even though death comes, Jesus has got you. And you will be raised like him. So true faith realizes you're desperate for more than just a miracle. You need the soul-cleansing, forgiving, death-destroying power of Jesus. And you need him. It's about himself, not just what he can do, and ultimately, that no matter what happens, though death will come, Jesus' hand reaches even there. About 500, 500 years ago, another husband and wife lost a two-year-old. The husband's name was Martin Luther, the famous German reformer, father of the Protestant Reformation. 
He watched his daughter fall ill with the plague. He prayed for her earnestly that she'd be spared, but she wasn't. And as the story goes, as the undertakers came and placed her in the coffin and were nailing the lid on the coffin, he yelled out, Hammer away! On doomsday, she'll rise again. That's staking it all on Jesus. Some of you are going through some really hard stuff right now. Losses, terminal illness, uncertainty. And others maybe are not in that season, but we will be at some point. Can you say, no matter what happens, Jesus is faithful? And if you can stake it all on him, you'll be able to do what he told Jairus. Don't be afraid and just believe. Amen.